Micah is uh, sharing with the youth today, and I'm really glad that, uh, big Micah, by the way, well, bigger Micah, they're all big to me. Um, I'd like to pray for them this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your heart for us and God, just what you let us learn and grow from each other. I thank you for hearts and the minds and the ears of our young people this morning. Lord, as Micah shares, I pray that you give them words of clarity that just go right to the spirit of the matter in such a way that these young people can embrace it, be encouraged by it, be impacted by it, be changed from glory to glory. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in these kids. I ask you to just continue to take them deeper and farther in you. Amen. Um, crack open the book if you got it. The electronic version, if that's your choice. Um, take a look. A couple of couple of passages I want to get to in a minute. Um, first one is Exodus, because I can read that part without my glasses. So hang on a second. Micah told me Friday he was going to be sharing with the young people today. And he said, do you have anything? And I said, well, not to really preach from. There's always stuff to share a little bit. And uh, not that one's any more valuable than the other. I'm not sure even what the difference is. But I texted him yesterday afternoon. And I said, well, that seems to have changed a little. So uh, the first passage is Exodus 26. Verses 31 to 37. We'll read that in a minute. And then the second one is Matthew 27, 50 to 53. So, first one will be Exodus 26. I'm going to go ahead and get there. You know, I, I so enjoyed our time in, in talking about the temple. Um, and, and just the development of the temple and the, the, the reality that God wants to meet with his people. He wants to dwell with his people. And that that has always, always been in God's heart. And so I was looking back at some of that again yesterday. And, you know, you've got the outer court. And the outer court's where everybody gets together. I mean, everybody's invited to the outer court. If you move from there into the inner court, that's the place where the priests made all the sacrifices. And they stayed pretty busy because they had quite a contingency of people to make sacrifices for. And those people would have to, to raise their animals and give the best, the most flawless in their flock for some of these. 
or they had to raise the plants or produce of whatever they gave. So, I mean, I was looking at some of these, some of these offerings. So they had the burnt offering. They had the grain offering. They had the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. Now, for some of us, we keep those priests pretty busy, right? Covering all that. And so that's what was going on in the inner court. But once a year, it's up to one guy to get it right on behalf of everybody. No pressure, but if you don't get it right, you might die while you're in there. So I've got a rope around your leg, we'll haul you out if you drop. So it's up to the high priest to go in where God dwelled with his people. Now, you know, just curious how big this veil was. First of all, it was about four inches thick. It was 30 feet wide. 30 feet. You know how tall it was? 60 feet. Now, you guys that built this stage, about how wide is this? Not quite 30, maybe? Close to it? Imagine the veil being twice that tall. It's taller than this roof here. It's a lot of curtain. It took about 300 guys to lift and move that thing. 300. It was an incredible piece of work. And it wasn't just cloth, it was twisted cloth. So they would take these materials and twist them. I mean, the density of this thing. Josephus is a historian that recorded a lot from biblical times. And he said... Two teams, full teams of horses, could not pull this thing apart. And that was the point of separation where nothing impure could go in. And once a year, the priest would go in and dwell in the presence of God. And yes, the glory filled the place. I mean, the glory was all around it, been a cloud every day, and a and a pillar of fire at night, and they didn't move till it moved. But that place of incredible purity was where God lived, dwelled with his people. I find the veil pretty incredibly fascinating for several reasons, and I'm not going to get into all of them today, but let's look at this verse in Exodus 26, starting in verse 31. You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, and it shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skilled workman. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia that are overlaid with gold, and their hooks also being of gold on four sockets of silver. You shall hang up the veil under the clasps and shall bring in the ark of the testimony where within the veil there within the veil, and the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the holy of holies. 
You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand opposite the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the doorway of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver. And you shall make five pillars of acacia for the screen and the overlay with them with gold, their hooks also being of gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. The, it struck me reading this back when we were talking about it, just reading through this again, um, of just the incredible detail with which God spoke about the development and the building and the construction of his dwelling place. I mean, the detail was pretty incredible. And the materials came from the offering of the people. Their offering wasn't writing a check or having it drawn out off your debit card. They only had their stuff. And what they raised in animals and what they raised in produce and what they brought. There was nowhere in the desert to pick up linen. You know what I'm saying? It's what they had that they gave. And God spoke about all this to them, and they obeyed, and they built this incredible place. And he also then gave them a law that was given to them that would allow relationship between God and man. But you know what he was preparing for with that law? It's the spotless lamb. They brought their lambs. They brought their cattle, they brought their goats, and they brought their grains. They sacrificed. Most of it got burned. The grain offerings didn't, but they were still given. The priest could take some of all this and live off of it and eat off of it, but most of it was just burned up in fire, consumed. Because they were following the law that God gave in preparation for the fulfillment of time. For the sun. Now, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm saying, God, that just feels a little bit like a setup. I said, no. It was just a preparation. Galatians really is clear about this. And he says, I gave you the law. I gave you all that to show you. You cannot fulfill it. There's one way, one man, one sacrifice for all time. And that's my son. I've got a I've got a coworker and friend who's a Jewish gentleman, and I I really pray a lot about Lord. How do I how do I have this conversation with Howard? The real fairly dedicated Jewish faith and heritage lineage. It's not that difficult a message. Yeah, God did all that. The only difference is your lineage has painted it that it has to be a certain way. And Jesus came and kind of knocked all that out, right? He wasn't the warrior king that they were looking for. He wasn't a much grander version of Solomon that they were looking for. It's humble. It's meek. He wasn't even the six-foot-three, tanned, long-haired beauty that we paint. 
He probably was built a lot like me. Don't let that destroy your perspective of Jesus. But it's quite likely with just some olive skin. But God's desire was to create a place to be with his people. Always his desire. And guess what? That has not changed. Now, once you go to Matthew 27. Mike asked me to make sure I got you out a little before noon today. Not because the Cowboys play then. has nothing to do with it. But they are voting this afternoon, and we got to get out of here. So, so that's why I pulled out my phone so I could periodically check my clock. All right, so Matthew 27, verse 50. Crucifixion has happened. Jesus sang on the cross for us. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple that took 300 people to hang up was torn in two, and not just torn, but torn from 60 feet up down to the ground, torn from top to bottom. And by the way, and we talked about it earlier, the earth shook. And the rocks split. And the tombs were open, And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. I'm going to be honest with you. For most of my 57, right? That is term 57. I forget. I get it backwards. For most of my life from young teen on, in my walk with Christ, my entire perspective of this event was God tore the veil to let us in. We don't have the law that we have to keep to get into his presence. We don't have to rely on a high priest to go in there once a year on our behalf And hear God. We don't have to rely on all the things that we before this point in time had to rely on. And there was no more division. Now I could enter the presence of God. I don't need any priest to go on my behalf. I can go into the presence of God. And that's awesome. But as we were going back through and talking about the Holy of Holies and reading through the Old Testament... And guys, I read stuff. Hey, to be honest with you, I've never read the entire Bible all the way through. Hope that's not disappointing. If it is, you'll get over it. I read some of that for the first time. I read some of that that I'd read several times before and saw it completely different. 
And just that whole picture of all of that being about God wanting to be with his people, what an insight, what a revelation. And I saw something in that that just was another perspective. That it didn't just let us into the presence of God. It let God's presence out. So it's not just that I can go to where he lives in that special place in Jerusalem and go where there used to be this big curtain and find God. It let him get beyond that place, beyond that veil to come and live in you and in me. It let God out. Because up until the veil was torn and Christ died on our behalf, you had to go where he was. Now he said, I'm coming to you. I'm going to live and dwell in you. I'm going to make my holy of holies in you. It's there, guys. If you know him, it's there. And as we're talking about the secret place or the quiet place, I've heard it called tons of things. That's the holy of holies where God lives in you. And there's still no room for any imperfection. And that's quite all right. Because all the imperfection that I may struggle and deal with doesn't get into that place. It doesn't contaminate that place. And I have a place in me that is completely free of any contamination that I can decide or I can fail with or that the world throws at me, it does not touch that place. And that's why we're encouraging all of us to find that spot. And something happens there. A lot of things happen there. Goodness. You'd never get, you wouldn't get out for noon for a week if I started talking about all that. But what the word that has really stirred up in me recently, and then Micah mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, was awareness. Now, I'm just going to tell you my journey, okay? Because I think everybody's journey varies a little bit. God doesn't make Randy do the same thing he makes Paul do, all right? But he does draw us all there. But for me, the word awareness has just taken on so much life. And the word awareness for me in the secret place makes so much more sense to me. Because I know we all talk about going there and hearing God. I can't tell you that God ever says much more than a word or two when I'm in the secret place. But I'm aware of several chapters worth of words in those two. I come out of there feeling like I could fill a novel with what God revealed, not because I heard this full message and remembered it all, but I suddenly was aware of things about him that just blow my mind. 
and have phenomenal impact if I will keep going there. And so I, I just want to share with you some of the things that I become aware of, have become aware of. Um, can we all agree? Well, I'm going to say it. Hopefully you'll agree. That what we're aware of impacts how we live. I'm very close to someone who grew up with an alcoholic father. Close to someone else who grew up with an angry father. I think he hoped he was an alcoholic to calm me down a little bit. Both these guys said, I'm not going to be like that. And for years, these guys independently struggled with alcohol and anger. Because that's all they were aware of. Even in the saying, I won't be like that, there was no alternative. That's all that they were focused on. Now, God has made a way for us to be fully aware of him and a place to go to experience that awareness over and over and increasingly as we continue to go. So what I'm aware of can have a huge, huge impact on me, not just for good, not just from his presence, but if I'm aware of evil, that's going to have an impact on me. And so I have to choose what am I going to let myself be aware of. And so let's talk about the impact of awareness of evil and then the impact of the awareness of good. And this is what I want you to hopefully take away with you today is that the awareness of evil, the awareness of my sin, and the focus on that will just drag me down because that is a bottom-up perspective. I'll never forget the first time I experienced the secret place. We were having a prayer time at our building in DeSoto, and... I don't even know specifically what we were doing it for. I'm sure there was, you know, something that we were focused on. And so I went in my office, and I just laid down on the floor. And suddenly, within a matter of minutes, it's almost impossible to describe. But I and in fact, Paula, you shared your first experience a few weeks ago, and it was very similar to that in just this unbelievable feeling. I felt like I was pulled through the floor into another dimension. And, and I will tell you that God had a very specific focus for that time. I'll never forget. He just continued to make me aware of his perspective of Tom Rosier Sr., It was such a powerful experience, but I had no idea what it even was, but I knew I wanted to find out, and I remember several times finally feeling like, okay, maybe this is over, and I'd go to get up, and I'd be almost up on my hands and knees and just get pulled right back down to the floor, 
like I was being pulled through the floor. And it would just come in waves over and over again. I didn't hear God say a lot, but I knew a lot about God's heart for Big Tom when I got up from there. About eight or nine months later, Micah got a hold of something and started sharing about the secret place. I went, that's it. That's what that was. How long ago was that that he shared that? Ten years? Maybe more? Long time ago. But if I stay focused on sin and trying to fix my sin, I am looking at the heavenlies from a bottom-up view, trying to get there and trying to figure it out. Because I'm seeing things from the earth's perspective. I'm seeing things from my experience's perspective and from my sin's perspective. And I got to get this right. So I got to get there and I got to achieve and I got to know God more. Some of that can produce a works mentality. Now, some of you folks known me a long time. I could do the work. And God has been over the years just working that out of me to not have to live like a Pharisee. Act right and say the right thing and do the right thing and behave and get out of that bottom-up perspective. Another result of that focus is just, Chuck talked about it this morning, feeling hopeless and defeated. Can't find God. I don't know how to get there. And then another perspective, that bottom-up look at life is judgment. We start by judging ourselves, right? A lot of times, at least. I promise you, if you judge you, you will judge others. Can't be helped. God's got another point of view. And the point of view that I want us to all be hungry for, because I believe God wants it, is a top-down perspective. He invites us into a heavenly spiritual realm where he lives and dwells and views and acts. And we're invited there. Looking down on life and looking down. I don't mean down our noses. I mean just physically looking down and seeing it so different than being immersed in it, looking up, going, help. He's saying, I want you to look down from up here where I live and where I dwell and where I've invited you and where I've created a place and I've created a way through my son so that I can be there and you can enter in and look down on this stuff. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not aware of sin, but let me tell you what my experience is. And again, my experience, not saying it's got to be this way for you. I'm just telling you, for me, in my search, almost without fail, and it's not every time, but at least I'd say 75% of the time, 
it starts with just trying to still my mind. I can still my body. I don't. And it was interesting. In fact, just this morning, as I'm stilling my body, I thought I was completely still. And then I just suddenly realized, oh, I haven't completely relaxed this. All the rest of my body was fine. That one point, I just want to still it all. But then comes my challenge, stilling this thing. Because when I get still, my brain wants to think about things that are really important that I may not have taken the time to think about otherwise. And now my brain's going, okay, he's still engaged. But then the next thing I'm aware of when I do finally get my mind out of the picture, and it happens often with just saying, not now, not now. It may take a hundred times of saying that. Not now. All that matters is you, God. This doesn't matter now. And then my mind starts to still. And I suddenly find myself aware of sin while aware of being drawn in to his presence. Now, that's a dichotomy for me, okay? Because he's asking me to come to this place that is pure and spotless and holy and righteous, and yet I'm suddenly aware. And I will tell you, the closer you get to God, the little things that may not normally feel like sin are suddenly this big in his presence. And you know what? I want him to point that mess out. I don't want to walk in deception that, oh, that's just a little thing. It's not a big deal. To him, it's big. And so I become so aware of this sin, but not in a way that I'm being rejected for it. It's saying, that spotless lamb, the fulfillment of time, he took care of this. Come on in. Now, that awareness of sin will wipe me out. I mean, I'll sometimes ball. The family never hears it. It's about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'll have a blanket or a pillow up over my face just wailing. Because I don't want anything to separate me. And so that pure, spotless part of me that he created, I feel that guy longing just to be with him. And then when I go in, it looks different all the time. But I can tell you that I become so aware that their perspective when I'm not in this place is often a bottom-up look. And he wants to improve my awareness and my view from the top down. And not just me, but you. That's why he created this place in us. It was a place that was full of nothing but death and vile. My spirit had no life in it. I was a wonderful kid. I mean, I was a wonderful teenager. I was very obedient. I was a good liar, so my parents didn't know how bad I was until I got into my 20s and broke my father's heart by telling him all this stuff I'd lied about. A pretty good kid, but there was nothing redeemable 
And he said, but taking all that out and I'm filling it and putting a holy place, the holy of holies inside of you. And not only is that where I dwell, come in with me. Come be aware of me. Come hear me. Come experience me. Come long for me. Come be changed by me. And come see it a different way. You know, one of the things that for years I just, because God just blew it out of my heart and did so much about it, that just this religious perspective just made me cringe. It's like, ah, stop talking. Now, I see God's drawing of those people too, just like he did me. That's one of the awarenesses that I take on is I see friends and family members so different when I'm with him. Susan's parents can kind of make us crazy sometimes. She just spent three days with them, so she's on recovery mode, so pray for her. The other day she was talking about something that they had gone through with her folks, and just suddenly I said, you know, I need to drive over and take your father out of the house, go get some coffee, and just ask him some questions. And Because I have a feeling that at age 91, the awareness of the end is probably much more significant. There's probably a desire to hang on to stuff to see stuff differently, to feel differently about things. And before, I'd have just wanted to barrel in and say, Tom, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is right, here's how it's got to go, bam, bam, bam. Some days he needs that, and I do that every now and then. But I think God just wants him to be heard, not fixed. Now ask this gal right here if that ain't God in me. She will affirm that. God begins to change an awareness of his perspective about people in our relationships. Here is one of the most beautiful awarenesses. I read 1 Peter yesterday. And in that pharisaical perspective, there's so much to do from the bottom up. But when you look at it from the top down, it's saying, here's what I've already done that you can accomplish because of my completed work. If you just become aware of me, I'll show you what I've already completed and how I want you to carry it out. I'm telling you, the Bible reads so differently from the top down than the bottom up, guys. Completely different. Same words, completely different awareness. So go there and see what he shows you in that. Scripture just blows up and comes to life. I see the lost from a different perspective. 
see the left and the right from a different perspective. That's all I will say about that here. He tore the veil. Not so that I can have another place to go. So that he'd just be right here. That is the Holy of Holies. It still requires a clean, righteous high priest to go in. And I am. If he lives in you, you are. But you won't see it if you keep looking from the bottom up. you got to go there and let him show you from his point of view from the heavenlies what he sees because he's already done it. And you have the right to go there. There's no shame. There's no manipulation. There's no guilt. There's no works to achieve that ability to go there. It's done. But the bottom up will try to figure out a way to got to make it happen. Got to work it up. You don't know what I've done. Well, guess what? You don't know what I've done. I have murdered in my heart. And that's murder. We're not stack ranking sin here. I'm just telling you. Doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what he did. Not what you've done. What he did to let you get to that place where he lives and reigns supreme. And he will change how you see everything if you go there. Amen? I don't even know what time it is. Good. Um, Oh, Lord, yeah. Preaching and prayer so different. A, a friend of mine who I grew up with, met him in junior high. Um, my friend Greg has pretty severe um, bipolar disorder. And in fact, within the last six weeks, he had another very severe bout with it where he had to be hospitalized again because the medicines after a while don't work. you got to adjust them and go back. And, and I've watched my friend go through some pretty severe experiences with all this. And so we don't get to spend much time together, um, but we still stay in touch. But, but one of the things that begins to sway him to the high I've seen him in the highs and the lows, and one of the things that sways him into the highs is any kind of religious activity. And I don't mean that religious, I mean spiritual activity. His mother had to come to me and another friend named Steve Fish, and the three of us, Greg and Steve and I, used to get together and pray and worship and dance and just kind of lose our minds with Jesus. But then 
Leona had to deal with the byproduct of that. And she finally came and sat me and Steve down and she said, either you stop spending time with my son or he moves in with you. Now, about seven or eight years ago, I called Leona and I said, you were right. And I was wrong. And I judged you without living in your shoes. And I'm sorry. Healed a wound in her that I don't think she even knew existed. Healed one in me. And it put our relationship back in a very healthy place. She was kind of like a mom to me when I was younger. I don't know why I told you all that. Pray for Greg. But Greg texted me recently. And he said, I'm praying that we can find a way and a time to pray together on a regular basis. My first thought was, uh-uh, ain't crossing Leona again. She's little, but she's a fighter. But then the deeper part of me said, Greg wouldn't understand probably how you pray. I heard a guy say this in Jackson, Mississippi at a pastor's conference ages ago, back in the early 90s. There's a guy from France. And he said, I pray a lot, but I don't say much. I kind of scratched my head. I can tell you, I understand that guy. I don't think Greg would understand that, and that's fine. I'm not judging Greg. I'm just saying prayer from the perspective of the secret place is very different because it doesn't require many words if any and it's a lot of listening and it's just a lot of awareness and then I can just agree with what I become aware of kind of how I pray and in fact I've shared this with a few folks Sometimes as I'm going in that journey, whether it's five minutes or 50 of just trying to get still enough to experience God, I will start to pray something that in my brain sounds so spiritual. And as it starts to come out, just as I get two words out in my mind, I just want to vomit because I'm so aware of, ugh, that's not God. Sounds spiritual not God. Prayer takes on a whole new dimension when you pray from the top down. I spend a lot of time praying from the bottom up. Sometimes God answered it just because I happened to get lucky enough to be on the same wavelength he was. I don't have to wonder if I'm on his wavelength if prayer is hearing from him and agreeing with what he says. I'm on his wavelength. Guys, these are just a few things of the many, many more that we can become aware of when we go to him. And I mean completely go to him The only thing of you that is allowed in is what he's already perfected. 
It's just him. And it's life-altering. Why do you think Mike has been talking about this for six weeks? Because it's life-changing. All we have to do is be still. That's our only part. And for some, I know that's hard. That's why I said a couple of weeks ago, we want to hear your journey. For those that have been doing it 20 years and for those that are in the first five minutes, and it's hard. Why? Because we're all at different places on this journey. And wherever you are is going to encourage somebody, maybe many somebodies. So please share. You don't have to be able to share it like I did today. God, you share it the way he does it with you. I'm just sharing what I've experienced because of the reality of that presence. And whatever he wants that reality to look like for you, just go and find it. It's worth the time. I promise you. It's worth the time. And I still have lots of days where it's a struggle And I wonder, what was that even for, Lord? You know what he says? He says, guess what, big boy? I enjoyed it. Like, okay, that's good enough. That's enough. Let me pray for you. Or do it. Do whatever it takes to get us still. And let us cooperate with you so that we become aware and live life from a top-down perspective. Only you can bring that about. Only you can give us the strength and the will to be still. Still our minds. When we're there, there you are. Make it a reality. Amen. I had the question for God, and I'll finish with this. I thought I was through, but I'm not. My question for God was, God, what else is there? I mean, this is so impactful. And and every time it's more and it's more. So, yeah, I know there's more and more of him. And I'll never touch it all and see it all in this lifetime. But something in me just was saying, Lord, what else? Do, is this it? And he said, no. Wait till we're all doing it. All the time, and we get together in this little room. Holy smokes, guys. So come on, go on this journey. Let's go.